0: What's up Dolphins and welcome into the Tuesday, November the 13th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host Travis Wingfield and as always I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football and on today's show. Being a Dolphins fan feels like Groundhog's Day over and over and over again and we might not be getting off that hamster wheel anytime soon. I'll explain that. We'll get you updated on Miami's medical situation, and we'll talk about some other teams around the league. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating, leave us a review, give me a follow on Twitter at WinkfulNFL, follow the show at Lockdown Fins and of course, the number one blog in the LockedOn Network where you can find all my film study work, all my articles and columns, LockedOnDolphins.com. You can also find me at ThirdAndTen.com, 10com as well as some features on Palm Beach Post and FanRag Sports. And here at Locked On, we're more than just a Dolphins podcast. We cover every team in every league. So check out the other Locked On sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We have some injury news to get to. Let's go ahead and bring on the Mad Dog. All right! And for the first time, I feel like all year, the Dolphins get some good news on the injury front regarding their two wide receivers that went down in the game on Sunday against the Green Bay Packers. Jakeem Grant and Devontae Parker went down on back-to-back plays, and Jakeem Grant's looked really grim at the beginning, the way he kind of stumbled off the field, couldn't put any weight on that Achilles tendon on that lower part of his leg. He got carted off. It looked like he was in tears. It just looked like a bad situation, and for a guy that runs a 4 one forty time and relies entirely on his speed and suddenness and especially the fact that he is so small at just five foot seven. If he lost any explosion to his game, you have to wonder where his career is going to go, and coming back from an Achilles is tough. But the good news is it was not a pop, it was not a tear, it was just a strain. They expect him back at some point this year, though I'm hoping he just gets shut down and bring him back for next year because next year is a contract year for Jakeem Grant. I think you're going to have to have him fully healthy to try to expand upon what he can do for you in this offense. Devonte Parker also looked pretty grim, but it sounds like he has an AC joint sprain. That's according to Tom Pelissero of NFL Media, and he will only be a week-to-week evaluation as well. So he might be back this year, although for how long, who knows, before he takes on another injury. And then Ryan Tannehill. We got some encouraging news on Monday that he is beginning a throwing program where he's actually allowed to throw the football again. He threw the ball on Sunday at Lambeau Field, and the reports are that it, quote, went well, End quote. And we know the guys over at the 3 Yards Per Carry podcast have been reporting this all along, talking about where he is from a health standpoint, the fact that he might not be able to come back. We'll see. I still remain awfully skeptical, but it sounds like he made some progress on Sunday, and hopefully the Dolphins can get him back for the stretch run here. And speaking of that stretch run and how it will look the next six games, that's the first topic on today's podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins No first down sponsor today, but the topic we're talking about here on the podcast is the Dolphins' immediate expectations for the rest of the season. And any hope they have this season revolves around the quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, getting back. I think a great example of what Ryan Tannehill is is that, you know, five out of 10, that six out of 10 that you kind of keep on the back burner and try to pursue other sexual interest so to speak. And then once that falls through, you go back to the old the old boo on the back burner and bring her back. And we're getting that again this year after Jay Cutler was the failed experiment last year. Now it's Brock Osweiler. And you know if Ryan Tannehill can get back and the offensive tackles can get back in Indianapolis, maybe they find a way to put together a functional 60 minutes of offensive football. And just for the sake of the skill players They're going to need some plays from the quarterback because I think they're on the verge of possibly losing the team as far as guys like Kenyon Drake are concerned because they just have had no playmaking from the quarterback recently. And we heard reports about some of the players being upset with Osweiler's general incompetence and there was a video I put up on my Twitter timeline at about 3 30 on Monday afternoon showing Kenyon Drake throwing a bit of a tantrum on the sideline after a throw went awry and he wasn't in the game it was intended for Frank Gore but Kenyon Drake you could just tell like man what are we doing here on offense our quarterback can't even put the ball where it's supposed to go I'm sure Kenyon Drake saw better quarterback play at Alabama with inferior quarterbacks down there and it's just been bad for Osweiler going forward so if we break this schedule down into Winnable and unwinnable games, I know that last term is going to catch the craw of some of you guys, but nonetheless, I will call the Minnesota Viking game the only unwinnable one, assuming that Ryan Tannehill is back. I just don't think this team can compete on the road with good teams. That has been the moniker under Adam Gay since he got here, but with Brock in the lineup, I think the Colts and Patriots games are also unwinnable, mainly because they are present so many problems offensively that I don't think this defense is good enough to handle. And I don't think the offense under Osweiler is good enough to keep up with those particular offenses. Even though Brady's had his struggles this year and especially has his struggles down in Miami, I am not going to pick Brock Osweiler to be a Tom Brady-led team but despite all of this the Dolphins find themselves still in that playoff hunt we talked about it on the podcast yesterday that they are only a half game behind the sixth seed and there's a potential for a three-way tie there with the Bengals as well as the Titans which would negate some of the head-to-head matchups but nonetheless if they find a way to nine wins then they still have a shot to get in I still believe nine wins will get you in depending on some tie-breaking scenarios going in the right direction but with Miami in these games ahead you figure two of those wins against the Bills I think we already agreed to that and my stance is this if they get Tannehill back and he plays the rest of the way and they beat the Colts in a couple of Sundays from now I believe that week 17 at Buffalo the Dolphins will still be alive and in the hunt for a playoff berth on the final day of the season and the reason I believe that is because the Jaguars at home week 16 that team is a mess defensively communication wise locker room and how they've stayed together it hasn't been the case at all Jalen Ramsey's talking about peacing out and how they're going to miss him when he's gone so the Jaguars game with Blake Bortles and a terrible defense at home is very winnable I mentioned the two Bills games if they can find a win against the Patriots Colts or Vikings and then beat the Bills and Jaguars that gets you nine wins that probably gets you in so that's the path get Tannehill back take care of the Bills, beat the Jaguars, and find a win against the Colts, Patriots, or Vikings. Not easy. It's not guaranteed, but it's possible. They still have a chance to make it happen. And until that part is put to bed, until you've put the ashes on that coffin, so to speak, that's when we'll stop talking about it. But for now, we're going to bring those playoff scenarios up every single week and talk about how this team can make a run. And it all starts with the health especially at quarterback. All right, so that's the present. We're going to talk some more future about this team, the head coach, and how this team has really been stuck on this hamster wheel for what has been three coaching regimes, 12 years, going on a better part of a decade and a half now with the same tired, repeated process. We'll do that next on the Locked on Dolphins podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, at Wingfield NFL on Twitter, and the show at Locked on Fins.
1: They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: It is a Tuesday here on the Locked On Dolphins Podcast, November the 13th. And since we're on a bye week and really don't have the same schedule on the podcast or on the LockedOnDolphins.com webpage, we're going to change things up this week and probably do some different categories, different topics, different types of discussions on the podcast and maybe put more of a future feel to it as we continue to progress down this disappointing season and disappointing from the standpoint that we haven't had the best health And that even for a team that's 510 games into the season, it just feels like so many of these games have been lopsided or in an outmatched fashion where the Dolphins really didn't have a chance to win the game. I mean, two out of the last three games the Dolphins played, really nobody gave them a chance in two of those three games. I don't think I saw anybody predicting the Packers to win, to beat the Packers. I don't think I saw anybody predicting Miami to beat the Houston Texans on the short week. And we know how that goes for most teams on the road on the short week, but Nonetheless, even when you go back to the Lions game, which had expectations, they were never in that game. They went down 10-0 pretty quickly, 17-7 at one point, and the Lions moved the ball with such ease. So that's why I think that everybody has these future ideas in their mind. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear it. I get a lot of flack for talking about it too much in the podcast, but just looking at what the current product is, the current state of their health, and the fact that we all yearn for a successful Dolphins team I think this is part of the therapy the therapeutic process in terms of getting your feelings out there and trying to put together ideas in your head routes in your head for how this team can take that next step and get off this 7 to 8 to 9 win hamster wheel that leaves you in ultimate purgatory. And you look over at the Washington Redskins, for example. They're a great comparison, a great parallel. They and the Miami Dolphins have really been similar teams since about the mid-90s. And I heard on the Will Kane show on ESPN that the Redskins haven't won 11 games since the 1991 season. And due in large part to that, they are losing fans at a rapid pace. And the same case has kind of been similar at Hard Rock Stadium over the years when the Dolphins aren't winning the fans haven't done the best job of showing up. So all this future stuff is just kind of part of the therapeutic process for trying to cope with the fact that here we are once again, year in and year out on the same track to seven, eight, nine wins. And we all want to jump off. We all want to be that team that can take the next step and be the next LA Rams, the next Kansas City Chiefs as the Redskins, for instance, are sitting six and three atop the NFC East, and they're finding themselves in the C block for all these programs, all these podcasts, talking about their 16 to 3 wins. So we want to avoid that. We want to get to a position where we're winning games, but also in a position where we are actually a threat to make a push down the stretch. And that's why the discussion comes up all the time about changing coaches or finding the right method or the right whatever the whatever the right recipe is to get yourself into that position. That's what we're trying to find out. And yesterday, we talked about Adam Gaze's presser and how there was this different feel to it. And he spoke again today on Monday on the topic and mentioned that he doesn't think they'd be able to field a healthy 46-man roster. Now, you activate 46 guys on game day. He doesn't think they'd be able to field 46 active players if they played a game this coming Sunday. And today I listened to the Around the NFL podcast, and they are mostly all Dolphins haters. And, you know, there's two Pats fans on the show and a Jets fan. The host is a Jets fan. And even the biggest hater of them all acknowledged this injury issue that the Dolphins are succumbing to the attrition of the NFL as much as anybody else. And that's where we're going to start today talking about the head coach and the injury scapegoat for his resume. And they're right. This team has been bitten as bad as any in the league. And my response to that, my plea, is that we don't just throw a blanket over these evaluations because these evaluations are about as intricate as anything you can possibly imagine. And look, I tell you all the time till I'm blue in the face that we don't know what goes on inside that building. We have an idea or an opinion on who is to blame for what. And I'll do my damnedest, and I'll work my ass off to provide all the information, all the facts, and all the opinions to break it down as best I can for you guys, providing a very educated guess on my part. I spend a lot of time on this stuff, so I feel like I'm pretty informed. However, when we evaluate draft prospects, we put every element of their game under the microscope. When I watch a quarterback, the first thing I look for is his feet. How well do the feet stay in relationship with the eyes and are they always working towards putting him, the quarterback, into a position where he can deliver a pass with clean mechanics? Then it's the arm strength. That's just for requisite purposes because if the arm isn't big enough, we can just move on and say he's a college quarterback, can't play at the next level, but if it is big enough, then we start looking at consistency in the accuracy, the ability to throw from multiple platforms, what is his internal clock like when it comes to sensing the rush, how well does he anticipate, does he have multiple pitches in his arsenal, can he throw the fastball or change it up when he has to, I could go on and on and on, but the point here is to say that there are a ton of factors when it comes to every single evaluation we do in this league, in the media, whatever you want to call it. So my plea is to avoid short-sighted takes, whether it's positive or negative. For instance, the Five Reasons Network tweeted out Osweiler and Tannehill's touchdown-to-interception ratio as proof that they are somehow similar players. And while I respect those guys over there, that is a truly, truly awful take. I mean, it doesn't take a world-class quarterback scout to recognize the vast differences between Osweiler and Tannehill. So my request for the coaching staff and the perception of what Adam Gaze is, is that we hold the coach to the same standard. Don't tell me that he's 5-5, five and five, therefore he's safe. How did we get there? Tell me the story of the season because process tells you more about an individual's performance than the results do. And here are my gripes with Adam Gaze. Number one, the personnel usage with Jakeem Grant and Kenyon Drake. And I know Frank Gore has been a surprise to everybody and he has played very well. This has been a topic on the podcast time in and time again. But Kenyon Drake is the kind of guy that can get into a rhythm. He can break a big play. He can change a game with his big play playmaking ability. When he was the focal point of the offense, the only time he ever was in the NFL, he led the league in rushing for a five-game stretch. Jakeem Grant, Albert Wilson goes down and his workload decreases. What the hell kind of idea is that? That makes no sense whatsoever. And then number two, perhaps my biggest gripe, is the way they go away from successful plays throughout the course of a game. They've done it all year with that fly sweep action. The trick plays have kind of gone away. And you might blame the fact that he has an inconsistent quarterback for the fact they don't want to run certain things. But then you explain to me how they go away from that successful inside trap play, which has been their best play running or passing all season long. It's a quick give to the running back who comes up and sacrifices some depth to get the ball quicker. And then you let a tackle through the formation and then you wham block him with a tight end and they have gashed teams with that particular play. They did it for a huge run for Frank Gore. He then came back with like a 10 yard run later in the game. And then they never ran it again. Why does he want to outsmart himself all the time? Just run what works. The Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay, who is probably the best play caller, not named Sean Payton right now, He runs the same formations and same looks all the time. Yeah, there's slight wrinkles, but he does what works. Just do what works. They always get away from the successful stuff, and that is extremely frustrating. And the last point is the coaching staff. And I lauded a lot of these hires this offseason. I thought Chris Kusarek was a good hire. I thought Tony Oden was a good hire. I was a fan of the direction of the coaching staff. But the work they put on the defensive side of the football in terms of alignment, I mean, how the hell does Bobby McCain match up with Devontae Adams when you have Minka Fitzpatrick and Xavier Howard on the field in man coverage? They put Howard on Jimmy Graham. They put Minka in the slot on Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And then McCain, the worst corner of the three, gets the best receiver of the three, while Xavier Howard stands on the front side of the formation and does nothing because the ball was never going over there. They could easily put Minka in the tight end spot, Bobby in the slot where he's best, and put your best cover guy on the outside against their best receiver. What a crazy concept, I know, but these coaches have made the same errors over and over and over again. It's not just Adam Gaze, it's his staff. It's Groundhog's Day with year four for these coaches. Year four, they never quite bottom out, but they do get themselves fired in year four, and then they win a couple of games to get the record respectable again and find themselves right back in the middle of the pack. And maybe it'll change, but it just feels similar to what we saw with Tony Sperano and Joe Philbin before Adam Gase. Now, could 2019 be the bottom out year? Frankly, it wouldn't bother me if it was. That's the year you want to have a top three pick. I mean, I know that's getting way out in front of ourselves here, but if it follows the same suit with Joe Philbin and Tony Sperano, the Dolphins will start slow, axe Adam Gaze, and then we'll see what happens from there. But like I said, that's a long way off. But who are the options if you do want to move on from Adam Gaze? The way I look at it is the top candidate right now would be John Harbaugh, who is rumored to be on the outs in Baltimore. I think that his discipline, the program he instills, and the fact that he could attract a really good coaching staff would really, really interest me. I would be all over that if I were in charge. Then there's the hot coordinator route. We did that with Adam Gaze. Hasn't quite worked out. I guess you can call Joe Philbin that. Right now, the top name I see at the top of that list is Eric Bieniemy, another Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator. Or do you go the college route with a Lincoln Riley, a Chris Peterson, a Jay Brom? I don't, there are so many options. It's hard to say if they would be an upgrade on Adam Gaze. But Gaze this week and the going into the bye week, I think this is going to be a big test for him and ultimately telling of what his future in Miami holds because they're going to have to find a way to institute some tendency breakers and just look like a different football team, look more organized, look more precise, and execute better on all levels of the game. Okay, we're going to finish this podcast up on the other side talking about Tom Brady, some of the more successful teams in the NFL, and we'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins. I think watching this team over the years has maybe depreciated what we view as good football, though I do think we all appreciate what good football is here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield at Wingfield NFL. And just watching some other teams around the league, and especially having the morning portion of the games, being a West Coast guy, the 10 o'clock kickoffs over here, watching some other teams around the league and getting a grasp of what other offenses are doing or other teams are doing. It's just kind of fun to watch some of the more successful teams like the Saints and what they've been on offense. And I think we get away from that and the expectation of what the Dolphins should be, maybe be measured up against those teams. And we have fallen very, very short of those over the years and fallen very short of the Patriots' for the last two decades now. And the good news I see is that watching the Patriots play, I think Tom Brady might be slipping a little bit. And I know they're still 7-3. and I know they're going to run rough shot on the AFC East once again. They're going to roll through the playoffs probably right to the AFC Championship game. But I think he's slipping, which could be a good sign for the future for the Dolphins and not having to worry about winning 13 games a year just to win the division. Maybe get ourselves in a position where the NFC East becomes the new AFC East where a 6-3 and three record puts you well in the lead of the division. But I think that having Bill Belichick there still will keep everything afloat in New England, whether it's Brady or not. But hopefully Brady starts to slouch and maybe goes into retirement when he sees his stats dipping and his production dipping. And then maybe Bill Belichick will follow suit. And maybe that'll be the curse we need to lift the curse off this Dolphins team is just getting rid of the Patriots dominance year in and year out. Other teams I watch, the Saints, they are so much fun to watch with Drew Brees and the way he rolls that offense. I listened to the Move the Sticks podcast on Monday and hearing Daniel Jeremiah talk about how why would Drew Brees retire when he now finally has the answers to the test regarding his mental aptitude for the game. I don't think he's going anywhere for a long time, which would also open the door for Teddy Bridgewater, which I do think will be the ultimate move the Dolphins make. But back on topic here, just the general NFL feel Defenses are way too difficult to maintain success, and a lot of coaches are just done with trying to prevent yardage. You look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, that personnel on their defense is loaded, and look at what they are. They're a shell of what they were a year ago. And talking about gaining yardage and scoring points, yesterday the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had 500 yards of offense and scored three points in the game. That is absolutely amazing. There was a stat on Scott Van Pelt where he said that 467 teams have gained 500 yards in a game in the Super Bowl era, and those teams averaged 36.7 points per game. So really that feat that Fitzmagic pulled off was quite remarkable and definitely unique to the NFL. And the last topic they talked about on the Move the Sticks podcast was the three Ps for supporting a quarterback, and especially a young quarterback. And this is what the Dolphins failed to do around Ryan Tannehill back in 2012, 2013, whatever you want to call it. The play caller, the protection, and the playmakers. Well, we know the the protection was not there. The offensive line under Tannehill for that three to four year stretch was the worst in the NFL, besides probably the Colts, who now, by the way, have kept Andrew Luck upright for four straight games, and he's back to his MVP level self. The playmakers... Mike Wallace, that didn't work out. You look at what the Chicago Bears did in bringing in Trey Burton and Allen Robinson and Tariq Cohen and just getting Mitch Trubisky surrounded with talented playmakers and also the play caller in Matt Nagy. So those are the three things you want to surround a quarterback with. We'll find out who the future is at quarterback for the Miami Dolphins heading forward, whether it's Ryan Tannehill, whether it's Teddy Bridgewater, whether it's a draftable quarterback, whether we don't find out until 2020. There are lots of answers to be had, and we have a lot of questions that need answered over the next six weeks on this team as well as beyond that. And we'll have you guys covered on that on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am thinking about doing an entire roster evaluation on the podcast this week as we don't have a game to preview. So we'll see where the content goes. We'll definitely have a Twitter mailbag. But that will be for tomorrow's podcast. As for today's podcast, that is going to be my time. You guys, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL follow the show at Locked Fins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll be back tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.